We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning into the show. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe, leave us a nice iTunes review, or follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13, or more importantly, join our Facebook group, tbpod.link backslash group. It'll take you right to our closed Facebook group. You can join that after answering a few questions and really get involved in the best that our community has to offer here at the Barcelona Podcast. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and Frances, today episode 88 for us, and a fitting number as we basically dedicate the entire show to our own number 8, that is Andres Iniesta, and for people wondering, I even tweeted out that we only had one show this week, and for the summertime we do have a little bit of announcement, and you can probably speak a little more to this, that we're going to be moving down to just one show, and that'll be coming out sometime Monday through Friday throughout the week. And you can give us some feedback whether or not you want those to be the regular size shows. And because we're only cutting down to one show, those can be a little longer as well if the listeners would like that. So let us know. Give us feedback on how you want the one show to go, especially if we have an interview at the end. And we'll see what we can do. Of course. Um, I really want to thank everyone who's been listening to the show throughout the season. Uh, We tried our absolute best to do two shows a week and uh, bring them to be high quality. We don't want to do sort of a good enough show and some sort of side not that great show for you. I think you deserve better. So it is absolutely crucial for us to bring you a quality show whenever possible. And that's what we try our best to do. But, you know, now the season's over, we can actually say we are very tired. I mean, I think I'm particularly tired as well because of my daughters sort of moving around, crying all night, etc. So um, hopefully you can forgive us because over the, over the summer, so during the off season, we're going to cut down to one show um, and hopefully recharge batteries during the week to come back with the best the best show we can possibly give you and plenty of um, strength and, and, and willingness to, to obviously continue to record. We know that obviously your feedback is essential. We know that you really appreciate the show. We've got thousands of listeners and we want to be fair to you. But obviously at this moment in time, we need to cut down a little bit because I personally am going to explode if I continue to record so often. So during the off season, we're going to switch off for a little while, although we still bring the one show a week. Um, obviously, we're going to have holidays as well. Um, I am currently obviously based in, the, in London, UK, but it is 
it is perhaps a possibility that we will be recording all over the place. Like if you go back to episode at TV pod forward slash 87 that actually was recorded in Spain. I was there over the weekend. Um, I didn't get through to the Camp Nou to watch Iniesta's retirement game, the um, Real Sociedad game, because um, actually my brother was getting married at the same time. So, muchas felicidades, Sergio. Te queremos. And um, yeah, it's it, it was a great occasion um, for Andres, but obviously my family has to come first. And I did watch the um, the game after, and obviously the, the discurso, the speech that Iniesta gave, was absolutely heartfelt and very fitting. So um, long story cut short, we're going down to one episode a week, but we're going to absolutely try to make it the best it can possibly be. We're going to get guests throughout the summer as well. Um, we've been in touch with many professional players and uh, broadcasters at this stage, and um, they seem to have a better schedule over the summer. So watch this space. The Barcelona podcast is taking a little break, but actually we'll be back every week with quality content as usual. And then obviously as... Um, it's episode 88, as Dan explained. It's an Iniesta special. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to look at the career at my favorite player of all time, um, tied with Risto Stoichkov. Obviously, regular listeners know that, but also an unbreak for Vasa. And um, yeah, we've prepared really well for this one. Plenty of stats, plenty of facts coming your way. The Barcelona Podcast 88 starts right here. So we've got the two segments here, La Gran Tagunta, which is... Again, you could ask a number of questions, but it's basically going to be, what is Andres Iniesta's legacy at Barcelona? Again, we're going to do this in a number of different ways. And then, of course, we have La Ronda, some questions from our closed Facebook group, uh, just about their questions about Andres Iniesta and our reactions to them. Well, I'm going to start, Frances, by kind of jumping off what you said in the sentimental way. I think to answer this question first, it's what sentimentally did he mean to us as people and us as Kool-Aids and us as people watching Iniesta and the team as a whole week in and week out. And you said he's your favorite player. And I think that that's something that, you know, because that a player like Lionel Messi exists in the team, you know, I've said it before, I have only two Barcelona jerseys with names on the back, and that's Andres Iniesta and Lionel Messi. And while, you know, my favorite player when I was younger might have been Terry Henry, when Barcelona came to, you know, the forefront of what I was trying to watch and be involved with every single week, you know, Iniesta and Messi are just a step above and they brought me a joy watching them that other players don't on the team and throughout the world, obviously. And I try to get to the bottom of what it is about Iniesta other than his, you know, fancy passing and, and dribbling and the occasional goal. But the, the, the man that he was out of the Barcelona jersey and the man that he certainly was when he put on the jersey was what attracted, I think, so many of us to him. And, you know... And about now, a week and a half ago, Sid Lowe wrote a piece for The Guardian about what Andres Iniesta is and what he represents in terms of his personality. And I really agree with the idea that he has this everyman quality. And I know that's a, it's a trope and it's, it's a often overplayed idea about you know why we like certain players and athletes and celebrities. But he really does represent all of us in, in particularly for me, he represents, you know, a player that was deemed or, or can be seen on at his position as a guy who's too small. He coming in, of course, the story is well known with his homesickness coming from Abatheta in September of nineteen ninety six. He was insecure about his own abilities, but yet he persevered, he fought and he fought and he fought for his place and he stayed loyal to an idea that he could get behind and that supported him. And he succeeded through all that, regardless of who was managing the team. 
Andres Iniesta always succeeded. He brought a consistency to the game that he always would. And I think, you know, what pushed him finally to hang it up at Barcelona, we'll get to that in La Ronda. But the time he had there, you could see the quality for all those years, for 22 years, 32 trophies, more than 600 appearances, but yet so, so many wonderful passes and dribbles and moments are the things that are going to stand out to us. And we're going to break some of those down. Absolutely. For me, Iniesta is everything that's right about Barca. He really represents, he's like the escudo, he's like the emblem walking, um, everything that's good, you know, in terms of sacrifice, in terms of perseverance. Um, I was lucky enough to be there on his first day at Barca, age 12, because my brother was part of that team as well. And actually it was my brother's first day at Barca as well. And as focused as I was on watching my brother in his first training session alongside these other Barca little players, um, there was this very white, transparent white, sort of shining white little Casper boy uh, that was incredibly quiet. He, everyone was talking to each other, trying to joke, but obviously the new little players, these guys are 11 and 12 years old, obviously, remember, um, didn't really speak to each other very much. Um, Iniesta obviously was known to the Barca players because th- throughout that summer there had been a tournament in Brunete, and um, Iniesta was part of Albacete, a, a youth team, a team that is obviously from a very small province in, in central Spain. But um, Albacete, the youth team, didn't really have too many players to choose from because, you know, in a city like Barcelona or Madrid and, you know, could argue even Bilbao or Sevilla, they've got many more actually kids to, to choose from and many more teams that they can be challenging each other about. But um, Iniesta didn't have that, obviously, from Albacete. The competencia, the rivalry between teams is not really what it is in Barcelona. And there weren't many great players to play against. So actually, his quality, his vision, his passing, his willingness to associate and his unselfishness was very clear from Albacete. And, you know, in that Brunette tournament, Albacete actually went really deep in the tournament where actually they really shouldn't have done that because of the reasons that I just described. And Barca and Madrid were fighting for his signature. And, you know, Iniesta did have a look at Madrid and what Madrid youth system were offering. But then he came to La Masia. And in La Masia, he could see the different um, portraits of players such as Guardiola, Amor, and several others before him. And he actually, with his dad and his family, obviously very close with Jose Antonio and the rest of the family, they decided that actually Barcelona was the best choice. And... You know, you fast forward to where we are today. I still don't know if talent such as Iniesta would actually choose us now. But you know, I know that's a that's a story for another time, not today. And he chose us. Um, he started training. He didn't have any friends, as you mentioned. He was tremendously homesick. But you know, once the ball started rolling, this guy was a machine. You know, the, the, in training sessions in La Masia, El Rondo is crucial. El Rondo is the circle where players pass the ball around. And Iniesta was just touching the ball like a little tiny ghost angel, if that makes any sense. And he wasn't losing possession anytime. He didn't really have to play pig in the middle because no one could take the ball off him. It really was mind-blowing. So these drills started from midfield and Iniesta was, whether he was in the center or on the side, e.g. sort of running towards the byline with a long pass, his crosses were incredibly accurate. He could always find these little people in the middle. Um, he actually associated with my brother a lot, which actually helped my brother get into the team in you know throughout the season. And yeah, his crossing was immaculate. He very rarely misplaced a pass. And when it came to actually shooting from outside the area in terms of accuracy, um, in, in Barca at the time, obviously it's 22 years ago now, 
they had the goal and around the post and throughout the crossbar there were different numbers which um, you had two four six eight and ten ten being the top corner and these guy from outside the area there wasn't any barrier in front so you know it was a clear shot but he kept hitting 10 after 10 after 10 and as much as i love my brother forever and ever this guy actually got my attention he was incredible and from that moment on he just he just moved on to be the player that you know millions around the world are crying about so absolutely mind-blowing what this little guy from albacete and fuente Alvilla has actually gone on to to become and mean for so many people yeah he started of course getting that attention in the 2002-2003 season he made his first team debut in the Champions League actually in Belgium against Bruegels Louis van Gaal gave him his first team debut he started and played alongside the likes of Danny Tutelero David Sanchez and Sergio Garcia who's still somehow at a billion years old at Espanol and the goalkeeper Juan Roman Raquelme and just throwing out some of those names just tells you how long ago that was I mean that was almost 16 years ago that he got his first team debut even two years into his Barcelona careers he continued to make spot appearances Iniesta scores his first goal under another Dutch manager in Frank Ricard in the knockout round of the Copa del Rey first La Liga goal came that season in a 3-1 win over Real Valladolid in the 84th minute of the matchup Barcelona won their first league title then in 2005 after six years of not having one and that was the season that Iniesta really started establishing himself, starting 15 times, really getting a foot in the door. And after that first title in 2005, we know what happens then in 2008 when Ricard leaves, Pep Guardiola comes in, Carlos Puyol, Xavi, and Victor Valdez were the captains alongside new captain Iniesta, who gained the captain's armband in, in just less than six years with the first team. And that set of captains, those four remain that way until 2014 and that really does bridge the way that we call that golden era of Barcelona football that that is in the club's history from 2008 to 2014 and in that time you know I'm going to give it away early for me the greatest Iniesta that I saw was also the greatest team performance I saw and isn't that a testament to what Iniesta meant to the team the fourth Champions League title the 3-1 win over Manchester United at Wembley was just especially in that second half, a complete, complete team domination. And yes, the credit, of course, goes to his partners. You saw Xavi shedding tears. Well, he sheds tears because of the kind of connection he had with Iniesta and Sergio Busquets. And the three of them in that game, you know, just absolutely demonstrative. And again, Busquets might be taller, but Iniesta and Xavi just buzzing around, spraying passes in the way they were, controlling a game, Again, just a dominating performance that, it, for me, is my favorite moment of Iniesta. But certainly, there's a lot of games to choose from. And, Frances, I'm going to actually let you pick here. Do you want to go through some of the El Clasicos? Do you want to go through some of the international stuff or some of the other Barcelona La Liga goals? To be honest, it really doesn't matter because they're all so great. Um, Iniesta has been uh, a playmaker. Iniesta oh, he still is, isn't he? Iniesta is someone who is central to the scheme of any team he plays for. I mean, luckily for us, his club career has been spent at Barca from the beginning until the very end. Obviously, he seems to be heading to Japan now uh, with the Rakuten CEO. I think it's Kobe, the name is the name of the team. And yeah, you know, good luck to him. But I think during his time at Barca, he's been instrumental. I mean, he has been for Spain as well. Uh, but obviously it's a Barca podcast, so I'm going to try and focus it on that. Um, 
his goals, I mean, he doesn't score very many and he is not afraid to shoot on goal, to be honest. But the thing is, his skill lays elsewhere and having Lionel Messi alongside you and obviously many strikers, you got Ronaldinho, Villa, Eto, even Pedro and obviously the current ones with um, Luis Suarez and, you know, Messi throughout. He has been very lucky to be surrounded with people that can actually finish and they're not scared to do that and they, they, they have that as their main skill. So he hasn't really needed to do that. And... He has decided to step up in moments when you sort of least expect him. I mean, the goals, he's always going to be remembered for the Chelsea goal for Barca and the Spain goal in the Copa, Copa del Mundo final, the World Cup final in 2010. But I think it is crucial to know that he has only scored goals or mainly he scored goals when the team had no other options. So I think that really tells a lot as to how humble and how unselfish he is. He prefers other people to shine through his skills and, and he maximizes his potential, he maximizes his magic and he's incredibly unselfish to make other people better. Um, in terms of performances, I don't really know which one to pick because again, he is not someone who would score a hat-trick or would score like five goals in a game like Leo, Leo Messi has done um, in his life. He's not, he's not that sort of player. He is someone who enjoys the unselfishness of getting other people to excel and for Iniesta, the same with Xavi. For Iniesta and Xavi, the greatness is to go sort of unnoticed. So the least you see them, the more you actually see the ball moving. And that is the key point, that is the crucial element of why Barca has been so successful um, since Johan Cruyff actually took charge, uh, winning 15 out of the last 30 leagues, obviously having a golden era with Pep Guardiola. But to be honest, it was successful with Guardiola because of his skills, obviously I'm not dissing Guardiola because he's, he's a genius, but obviously the players he had at his disposal, you know, you've got Xavi, um, firing all cylinders, you've got Iniesta, um, as a sort of hungry, young adult or world-class star in the making, you have Puyol, Busquets, etc. So many players that he was blessed to, to, to manage in terms of Guardiola and to play alongside in terms of Iniesta, but pinpointing any game I think would be unfair I think obviously the 2-6 victory in the Bernabeu was incredible um, Iniesta was part of that team they, they, it was an incredibly powerful team in terms of um, attacking prowess so you've got Henry in one end you've got Lionel Messi in the middle somewhere and Eto whatever he wanted normally I think in that game he was running from the right wing and that was exceptional but you know for me and you've mentioned a couple of games as well but for me the 5-0 beating and that's not the word to call it la manita game at the camp no that's the big hand manita means big hand with the five fingers that um piquet showed after the game that that is exceptional you know like I, i've watched that game several times i think i've watched it five or six times since and real madrid were non-existent they did not know what to do they did not know what to cover i mean to the point that sergio ramos ended up losing it not that he never loses it because he loses it pretty much every day the guy sort of leaves the house and starts arguing with people, I'm sure, and gets red-carded on the way. But the game, if you're a Madrid fan, you just didn't see your team. You know, they didn't know how to defend it. They had absolutely no answer to the incredibly pacey ball movement, the distribution, the opening towards the wings, the rotation, the unselfishness, the collaboration was absolutely exceptional. And, you know, you can, if you want, personalize that on Xavi and Iniesta. But, you know, it was a team effort. And, it seems sort of bizarre to say that Iniesta's best games are not the games in which you actually see him score or do anything more or anything less 
than what he is actually the best at, which is being an attacking midfielder that can dominate a game and can change a game at any given point, but actually knows when to hold back, how to play horizontally, vertically, how to move back, how to associate with his centre-backs. And a lot of the time, obviously, in later years, it's been Busquets. He's a genius. And if you have watched a Barca game in the last 16 years that you have enjoyed, Iniesta was probably the best man in that team, although he wasn't scoring every goal. You kind of ripped through my list right there I had the 6-2 victory over Real Madrid and the 5-0 over Real Madrid of course that really does seem to be the the one where all the eyes are watching and again it's a testament to him that those seem to be the games that he is at his best scored his first Clasico goal in his 21st Clasico in 2011 scoring a 3-2 Spanish Supercopa win I also had of course the Chelsea I want to take you back paint the picture 2009 trailing one nothing in that game with 10 men scored the goal in the 89th minute and Iniesta himself has also admitted that at the time, at least, it was the most magical moment of his life. And if you would ask him again now, it's definitely that one in a Barcelona jersey. Um, and, and then again, you kind of did go over this, but I just want to bring up one final idea before we go to La Ronda. And that is the fact that the World Cup winning goal for Spain over the Netherlands in 2010 has actually done wonders for his his Barcelona career as well, due to the fact that at the time... He was dealing with a little bit of injuries. He had, you know, believe it or not, he did have some form issues that he has admitted, you know, and by that I mean Iniesta form issues, which Iniesta is worse is something that all of us would just dream about being able to do. But I think that's the the point here is that Iniesta's consistency over the years that we even forget that time when he was going through a hard time and having some difficulties because, you know, the, the Barcelona staff, the medical staff were able to find a way to get him to the World Cup. And... I guess the whole thing is that Messi, who has so much less around him for Argentina, is always knocked for not having a World Cup. And that's something that Iniesta, again, has, has reached and a trophy he's acquired now. And the point being is that Iniesta was the guy that won his country the ultimate prize in extra time. Nonetheless, he did step up in that big, big moment for a guy so shy and quiet when he was a 12-year-old coming up so big in that moment. And the other thing being about consistency is we remember that Mario Goetze did the same thing for Germany. And now he's not even, or he wasn't at least, on the preliminary roster, of course, for this year's World Cup. Iniesta, at the ripe old age of 34, is indeed going for Spain and probably going to start. And while Goetze has been hard done by injuries and form at Dortmund, that's my very point, that Iniesta has always persevered. And Iniesta's worst, him at his worst, like, let's say this season, where he's really been slowing down and isn't the Iniesta of old, he never looks outmatched. And even this year against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey final, which, again, was one of Iniesta's, I guess, the beginning of the send-off at the time, he scores the fourth goal, dictates the entire match until he was substituted and still looked five years younger than he actually is. Iniesta, from day one to his final day at Barcelona, Again, there were moments where he's been slowing down throughout the years, and that's we'll get to it in La Ronda, but to me, that's the very reason that he's hanging it up for with Barca in the time that he is, because he wants to be always remembered for by Kules for everything that he's been capable of over his, you know, sixteen some years in the first team. And that has been absolute majesty. So with that, Frances, I, I think we'll head over to La Ronda where we're gonna continue again to talk about Andres Iniesta. And the first question comes from Michael Miller, who we also know from Daily Barca. That's another Facebook group that we ask you to, you know, get on, get involved with. And he asked, where is Don Andres going? We've heard rumors of him being close to China, Japan, Australia, maybe MLS. And Frances, you did say it earlier in the show. It's Vissel Kobe in Japan. 
and that's in Japan's first division. So while he won't be able to be seen much in Europe or in the U.S., that is a club, and some of those matches are seen on certain platforms at certain times, and let's say they're good enough, they go to a Club World Cup. I, I don't think, unlike Xavi going to Qatar, you know, he's going to be all the way in Asia, but I don't know if he's going to be completely out of mind, out of sight. He's going to be able to have some footage of the thing that he's still doing over there. So, again, we're hoping that as Kool-Aid, we can continue to enjoy what Iniesta has until he really does hang up the boots forever. So next question, I think that one wraps that one up. Nendon Roy asks, under which coach do you think Iniesta was most effective? And how about I add a caveat? Frances, we have to give different answers. I said Pep Guardiola. You have to say someone else. Villanova. I say Tito Villanova. Um, I think that what Tito was able to do in his short tenure, you know, unfortunately, very short tenure in, in charge, he was maximizing everything that the team had at the time. And, you know, obviously Guardiola was very successful, but then again, his last season wasn't really um, a walk in the park as the previous three had been. So Tito obviously had been um, the assistant coach for Guardiola throughout that time, and he actually knew what the players had. And, you know, many argue he was sort of moving the thread. So, so being the backseat driver, that's a better English expression, he was the backseat driver that actually made the Guardiola team so successful. And, you know, together they were exceptional. And, you know, it is a shame that we never really saw that again when Guardiola left us and obviously um, Villanova is no longer with us. And, you know, may he rest in peace uh, wherever he is, which is definitely heaven. Um, anyway, so he was able to maximize Iniesta's skills. Iniesta sort of felt even sort of bigger in terms of stature, in terms of exposure in terms of responsibility obviously Messi was sort of freed up from the uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic fiasco and the fact that you know that took some space away from where he actually needed to be influential and you know as soon as Tito took charge I think Iniesta took a step forward Xavi was still at his peak and that really helped him as well but I think that what Messi has achieved and achieved under Villanova wouldn't have been achieved without Xavi or Iniesta behind him. And I think he was absolutely spectacular. And, you know, I'm not basing it on how many goals he scored or how many crosses or how many this or how many that. It's actually the feeling that he was so commanding. He was so influential during that time that, you know, that I'll be able to tell my grandchildren that I watched Iniesta play when he first got to Barca and throughout his career. And that's what Barca is all about, I said at the start. Yeah, I think it's very telling that we haven't gone over how many goals he had, how many assists. And I think it's on purpose that we're kind of avoiding those kind of statistics because they could never, ever paint the whole picture of what made him just so effective under every coach that he had under. And Frances, I want to compliment you as well. I tried to throw you off there, but clearly, you know, you'd say that you eat your, weight, your Wheaties, but for this show, we'll say that, you, you know, maybe you drank your Iniesta wine. And that has empowered you uh, to have the confidence to answer that so quickly. <laughs> of course, of course. I don't need to drink any wine to talk about Iniesta. I could be doing this all day. So Spiro asks, as we slowly lose our once-in-a-lifetime generation of talents on the field, do you guys see Iniesta and others returning to the club, technical team, and board? And, you know, we, we've mentioned, you know, called nicknamed PK, El Presidente, things like that. And those things are well-known. Xavi with ambitions of getting his coaching license and Victor Valdez getting his as well. But with a guy like Iniesta... I, unless he comes back as some kind of youth director or someone truly, truly behind the scenes where you're not even sure what he's up to or what he's doing in the ways that he's influencing the club, he just doesn't seem like a guy who's going to sit at a podium and answer questions 
um, and, and you know be seen in a critical light like that to make those kind of big decisions for a club all by his lonesome. I agree. I, I, I think he would make a fantastic coach. You know, if you look at Zidane, what he's achieving in Madrid, you know, this season, especially domestically, has been horrendous. And to be honest, he has been domestically horrendous for Madrid in, since Zidane has been there. I mean, they've won a Liga and a Copa del Rey, I think. But, you know, com- compare that to the great success that Barca has been having over the last 10 years, you can't really say that he's doing very well there. Obviously, Champions League is a different story. But um, what I'm saying is that Zidane is a very calm manager. And a lot of the time he's criticizing the media for that. But actually, that's what makes him a great coach. Now, in terms of Iniesta, I don't know if he wants to be a coach. He hasn't expressed his opinion either way that I'm aware of. But I think he would make a, a good coach as such. But I think it's more about what you said. It's more about the vision. It's more about uh, the sporting director role. I think is better fitted for him uh, because I think someone like, for example, Xavi is better suited to be in the front line and, you know, giving his strong opinions and strong defensa ultranza so being ultra defensive and sort of putting his body and soul and heart in front of his players in order to defend them I think Xavi is more suited to that um, but Iniesta's Iniesta's brain needs to be utilized um, I don't know in which capacity I think probably you know you've got Piqué as the president Iniesta as the sporting director and Xavi as the manager then you're absolutely laughing and you'll never make any changes forever and ever but um, we'll have to wait and see what he wants to do. But absolutely, his privileged mind, his experience, his... Because people sort of overlook the fact that before he debuted, he was in the youth system for such a long time. And I know this from, from my brother and, you know, different players at youth level that I've met over my, over my life, really. Um, there's so many players around the area in Barcelona and obviously beyond, but the important thing in order to attract and nurture talent that is actually going to go into the first team and succeed is that having the connections and having the charisma that Iniesta have. That will be crucial in order to attract players at any given level, definitely at local level, in order to attract the very best talent. And not just that, but knowing and accepting that these players, such as, for example, Ricky Puch right now, the players that... I have shown a lot of skill, but they need nurture, they need vision, and they need to be advised by people who've done it before and can not hold their hands because obviously they need to be challenged alongside their careers, but actually contribute and, and advise and guide enough so that we can see these young, talented, superb players excelling not just at youth level, but actually at first in level. And I think Nies has got the brains and the capacity and the charisma in order to do that. That kind of ties into a question from John Jones. Who do you see being Iniesta's long-term replacement, either promoted or bought? And to me, the answer is no one, but the answer would be if someone could be groomed in the ways that Iniesta was, we could see a player with a similar, you know, with that similar Barcelona DNA, if you will, someone who's grown up with the academy and winds up being able to do a lot of the things that he did, just not being Iniesta and again there are no replacements there are no direct replacements for so many of these legends because of just how good they were again when we talk about Iniesta we might be talking about the greatest Spanish midfielder to ever play and that's over the course of 130 years of history Iniesta might be the absolute best so there is no replacement and John Jones does put it in quotations because I think he also is admitting by asking the question that there is no replacement but I think it's a good nod of you, Francesca, to say that if there is some kind of replacement, if you will, out there, 
it's coming from the youth academy. And again, I don't want to put the kind of burden on just a name like Puig, but I'll say it's a Puig or a Callado or a Jandro. It's one of some kind of midfielder somewhere. There might be a Xavi Simones. There might be some player down the road who might not even be born yet that's going to be very similar to Iniesta. But now it's on Barcelona to be able to cultivate that talent in the same ways they did with Don Andres. For sure. There will be players trying to do or aspiring to do even what Iniesta has achieved on the pitch and, and trying to copy or mimic or be as similar as they can possibly be to what Iniesta's movements were. But there is no replacement, you know, there's no replacement for Xavi. We still haven't found a replacement for Puyol. We've got Umtiti, who is a very good centre-back, but he's not Puyol and he obviously doesn't, will never be able to be. And, you know, there's no replacement for Iniesta. These these type of players, especially when they've sort of grown through the Barca system and retired with us, they they irreplaceable, irrepeatable. They're never going to happen again. And we just have to cherish the memories because that's what we've got left at this moment in time. And we are lucky that we can look back at everything he has achieved. And moving forward, there will be other people playing the position, but no replacement, I don't think. All right, final two questions. We'll make it quick. Roman asks, of all the stories you know of, which is your favorite that is likely least known to the public? And I don't mean to piggyback on our friends, and we did have John Driscoll on the show a few weeks ago, but I want to piggyback on a story that was mentioned in Graham Hunter's book about Barcelona, and this was mentioned on the League of Weekly, their, their final show for a while, and again, we give them plaudits and good luck for all the work they've done in the past and all the work that we know they'll do in the future to help La Liga and you know the Barcelona brand at least of course that you know they're not preferential just Barcelona but you know have that all grow in the future but anyway Roman you know the the answer to that for me at least is a is a story that is in that book about Iniesta's relationship with in with Ronaldinho and that we we know Ronaldinho is taking Messi under his wing and we know, you know, that Messi was able to express himself and Ronaldinho kind of brought that quality out of uh, the quiet, diminutive Messi. Iniesta, meanwhile, saw the lifestyle, we'll say, that Ronaldinho was living, you know, that spotlighted lifestyle. And Iniesta didn't really know at the time he was a young player in the squad, was kind of uncomfortable with the idea of that's how modern footballers were. And, you know, of course, the British tabloids, and you don't know a lot of those stories, you know, about what's happening in Britain with a lot of those players at the time you know, with the nightclubs and everything and everything. But Iniesta was a guy who, you know, he wasn't sure what that truly meant. And then some, even the team medics would say, no, 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 that's just Ronaldinho. You know, that's, but that is also a a light of what professional football can be. You know, it's your responsibility now as an adult in this club to kind of make your own way. You know, if you want to stay out till two in the morning and then try to play in a Champions League final and you fail, that's on you. Or if you succeed, all the better that's on you. And Iniesta, you know, that was a moment where he had to say, all right, this is the way I'm going to do it. I want to do it that way. And again, that's another reason we love him because he's a player that chose to do it. <laughs> I don't want to say the right way, Frances, but I think you you know where I'm going with this and that Iniesta did it the way that we really respect. The right way. <laughs> I agree. For me, it is the right way as well. Um, I just got one that I think most listeners would know. In 1999, it was the Nike World Cup. Um, it was sort of the World Cup at youth level. It was cadete, so there's 15, 16 year olds playing it. And, you know, Barca got to the final, obviously because of many talented players, but absolutely because Iniesta was part of the team. And, you know, we have said that 
Iniesta will forever be remembered because of his play and his passing and his skill and vision. But actually, you know, the goal against Chelsea and the one against Holland, the World Cup final, are pretty much the highlights. But he scored a decisive golden goal before in his career at Barca, and that was in 1999 in that final against, I believe it was Manchester United. Um, obviously, Pep Guardiola was watching the game from the stands, and he was the one that was going to give the trophy to the winners. And he very famously went down and said, today I've seen a player who knows how to interpret the game better than me and you will remember him. And obviously later on um, that day, Guardiola went off to Xavi, who, they were both in the first team already, went off to Xavi and say, um, today I've seen the player that is going to retire us both. And he was right. All right, final question we have time for today. Rick asks, if you had a chance to have dinner with him, what would you guys like to ask him? Great question. Um, I think I would ask him how it feels to be so respected, so loved um, around every part of Spain. Because at this moment in time, we know because of the um, Catalan move for independence, um, Catalans are pretty much disliked everywhere else in the country. And Iniesta, obviously he's not Catalan, but he's lived in Catalonia more than half of his life, obviously. And I like to ask him how it feels to be admired like that and yeah that Francis for me I tried to get away with the question would you please 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 come on to the Barcelona podcast I think it would probably be the first question I try to ask and again I don't think that one would count because I think the second question I would ask Iniesta would be of all the moments and all the memories and all the time you spent with Barcelona what to you do you think it means to wear the colors, and what do you think the Blagrana represents? Good question. Yeah, I think, I, I, again, I think I would want to know at the root of what he loves so much, you know, why when players are done playing, again, it's because of all the time they spent with clubs, it's because of all the dedication they gave to it, but for all the good moments and all the bad moments, those tears mean something, and I, you know, I think getting down to the root, and those tears can mean something different for every player, and for Iniesta, we know that his tears, and the reason that, not that we... Whether you physically cried or, again, just emotionally felt that strife that he was leaving, you know, it's time for him to go, and we all know that it's time for him to go. Father time, the old cliche, is undefeated, but Iniesta has left such a legacy, and that's why, you know, we spent, we could have spent not just this show, but we can spend all summer having shows about him in the future. We could keep going on and on about all those moments and wonderful times he had with the Xavis and the Puyols, and because he bridged so many different generations, going all the way from Juan Roman Raquelme all the way to Ismani Dembele, bridging the gap in between multiple generations of footballers. You know, he's a guy that's got so much and so many memories and so many good things that will continue to wax poetic, poetic as Roman said, about him for many, many weeks and months and years ahead as we continue to remember Don Andres. Well, that'll wrap up this edition of the Barcelona podcast from Frances and I. Again, it was really fun to give an ode to Andres Iniesta, but... You don't have to stop listening to the Barcelona podcast at this moment because even though the season is over, we are not done. We've got, again, some big things planned for the summertime. As we mentioned, some big interviews were too busy during the season doing certain very important things. And so their schedules have opened up. We're going to be trying to nail down some of those interviews to be giving you still the best quality content we can all summer long. Also, there's a little thing called the World Cup. And I know that while Frances and I will not again be watching every minute like we do of the Barcelona season – 
there's a billion Barcelona players playing on Spain and France and Germany and Argentina and Uruguay and Brazil and probably and Croatia. I think I got all of them. I'm probably missing one or two. But nevertheless, Barcelona is everywhere throughout the World Cup. So I will be tuning in. Frances will be tuning in as much as he can. And we're going to probably be talking about some of that, be talking about some of the storylines and even the players that aren't going to the World Cup, like Nelson Semedo and Andre Gomes. With Portugal, plenty of transfer rumors as well, as you guys know. And I'm going to try to make sure that not all your questions are related to transfers. We'll try to answer some of the other big things. And maybe Frances will also go get into some of the other things that we wanted to talk about in the past as far as, you know, the Dutch legacy of the team in the past. And again, going back in the history books, talking about the Hungarians from the 50s, et cetera, et cetera. And the summertime is a special time for Frances and I to really take our time with notes and get to doing that. Again, as Frances said at the beginning, to live our lives. Anything else? No, I just want to thank the listeners for putting up with us all year. It's been the first season. I think we can call it a close today. And, you know, from the next episode, we'll just call it season two sort of thing. Um, we started from nowhere. I mean, this was just an idea that I don't know who had it. It was I don't know if it was me, maybe Dan. I'm not sure. But um, it just came out of pretty much nowhere. We had no microphone. I was just talking into the the laptop. So if you go back to episode one, I don't think it sounds very very professional. But you know, we did get it out there. And if we're still doing the podcast, it's because of you, the listeners. Um, again, if you have not joined our Facebook group, that tvpod.link forward slash group you are absolutely missing out so go there right now and join us um, the content does not just stop with the podcast we're actually putting questions in there uh, there are people that are incredibly active and that is great we're engaging in conversations go to our facebook group at tvpod.link forward slash group and don't miss out have a fantastic summer but obviously see you next week as well so hasta luego yeah, thanks for listening to Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.